we're going to look today in uh, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. I want to read one verse. That's just verse 20, but we're really looking at uh, several things that's taking place here in Acts. We're going to read verse 20. So it says, So the word of the Lord, it grew mightily, and it prevailed. There's victory. There's victory with God's word and its power. So let's take a moment and let's have prayer. Lord, will you just continue to minister today? Help us to sense your presence. And Lord, I just want to thank you so much again for, for each one that's here, each one that's listening. And I just ask that you would just minister, allow your word to come alive, to be plain. And I ask your blessings on each one now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you some questions here. How long was the Hundred Year War? You know how many years it was? You would think it'd be a hundred years, but it was actually 116. Do you know what country manufactures Panama hats? It's not Panama. It's Ecuador. Ecuador. Um, do you know what month in Russia they celebrate October? have a big celebration, but it's in November. Well, how about this? Christians. Does it make sense to have church members or disciples that aren't Christians? Actually, that's what you find when you get to Acts 19. Paul comes to Athens, and look what it says in verse... This is the end of verse 1. It says, "...and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And here's what they said. This is verse 2. They said, We have not so much as even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. In other words, they're not Christians. You see, when a person becomes a Christian, here's the norm. When a person becomes a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. Paul would later write, in Romans 8 9. So if you want to write that down, Romans 8 9, he said, If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not one of His. Ephesians 1 13. Here's what Paul said. He said, Basically, when you become a Christian, you are sealed with the Spirit of God. So, in other words, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you didn't really become a Christian. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you've not been born again. So you're not really walking with the Lord. So you're not really a true disciple. Now, let's look at some things about these individuals. Because the individuals that he met here, they're called disciples. They actually thought they were Christians. Tom Rainer wrote about being an interim pastor. He said he was sitting in the pastor's study with a fellow that had been an usher for I think 30, 40 years, a long time. And so he began talking to him one day, and it turns out this fellow said, he began talking to him about Christ. He said, I've never heard this in my life. And he ended up leading that man to Christ in spite of the fact that he'd have been in church for all those years. There's a lot of people that think they're Christians, but they're not. Now, they're religious Jesus really stunned people when he was talking about the scribes and Pharisees. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're going to perish. Well, wait a minute. 
the scribes and Pharisees, they fasted and prayed twice a week. They tithed on every single thing they had. They went to the temple every day. What are you talking about? How could you be more righteous than them? But actually, Jesus said, or more religious. These individuals were religious. But I want you to hear me. They were not Christians. They were not going to enter into the kingdom of God. They weren't going to make it to heaven. They weren't ready. Here's individuals. They'd been baptized. John's baptism. They had been baptized. You know, there's a lot of people today that have been baptized, but they're not really saved. They're not really have been born again. They don't have the Spirit of God. It's not the same. Now, there's people that are moral. These individuals were moral. There's people that are just determined they're going to be good. They're going to live a good life. You know what the Bible tells us? Here's what Jesus said. He said, wide is the road that leads to destruction. There's people, I mean, I'm telling you, if you needed, if you had a flat tire, they would be right there. They'd change it for you. Good people. But they're not ready to be able to enter heaven. Because the truth of the matter is, when you define good, good is a comparison to other people around you. But when you're comparing yourself with a holy God, you're not good enough. Somebody said, I can't believe God would send good people to hell. Well, it depends on your definition of good. But the truth is, God doesn't send good people to hell. Where none of us are good. Remember, Jesus said there's no one good but God. Nobody. So we're all sinners. These people were moral. And they had you fooled. But the truth of the matter, they were lost. My friend Don Witt, he's an evangelist from Memphis. He does 40 to 50 revivals a year. He says he rarely goes to a church where church members do not get saved that week. Seems like it's just every revival. Some people thought they were Christians, were living the Christian life, or thought they were living the Christian life, but they weren't. I heard a pastor say just the other day that uh, during the invitation, somebody came up and said, I've been a hypocrite and had everybody fooled all these years, but I'm not really a Christian. You ever heard uh, John Wesley, his story? John Wesley's father was a, a minister. His dad's name was Samuel. His mother was, wow, a prayer warrior, Suzanne. John grew up, he actually became his father's associate. Uh, he went to school. When he was in, at school at Oxford, he joined this group called the, the Holy Men's Group. These guys, I mean, they've got made fun of, but they strive to be able to live a holy life. John Wesley was chosen to be able to be a missionary, to come to the America and be a missionary to the Indians. He failed greatly. On the way back, just so happens he was on a ship with Moravian brethren, Mennonites. That ship went through this storm, and Wesley... 
he just went into a panic. It scared him to death. He thought for sure he was going to die. Well, he couldn't get over how these Moravian brethren act. They weren't scared at all. They just seemed to have a peace. And they were very helpful to everyone. They just brought a calmness. They had something that he didn't have. Wesley would later... Write this. He said when he returned, this is from May 24, 1738. He wrote this in his journal. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preference to the Epistle of Romans about a quarter before nine while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And He was never the same. England and Europe would never be the same, and the world would never be the same because of His conversion. See, whether you're a missionary, he was a minister, a missionary, even a teacher, professor, but he was lost. And that's who Paul runs in here. People that were disciples, but they weren't really Christian. The good thing is, Paul was able to share with them. And they received Holy Spirit. They received Christ that day and become Christians. Now as we look through... Paul's time there at Ephesus, one of the things that you're going to find with Paul was he was very consistent. Very consistent. So in verse 10, notice here's what it says. It says he continued for two years. Verse 9, it says that he was reasoning daily at the school of Tyrannius. And he did so for two years. Paul was consistent in his life. He was consistent in proclaiming Jesus. He was consistent in talking about Christ in his daily walk. So every single day, he talked about Christ. So in Ephesus, whenever you saw Paul, he was talking about Jesus. By the way, Paul, when it talked about in him renting that hall in Tyrannius, it says that he, uh, he rented that hall, um, it was about from 11 to 1. That would have been the time where they had their siestas, you know, where they took time to rest. Hot time during the day. But here's what it tells you about Paul. You see, Paul would have been a tent maker, so he worked in the marketplace in the mornings. Rented this hall, and at the time when people were sleeping or taking a, a nap to re-energize themselves... Paul would rent his hall and he was teaching people about Christ. Telling people about Christ. Asking those that become Christians to bring those that were not Christian to come and hear and to listen. He was proclaiming the Word of God daily. And not just that. Listen, he was training other people about God's Word. Now you know, if you read through the book of Revelation, chapter 2, chapter 3 is those seven letters to the churches. Well, the first one is written to the church at Ephesus. And then those others, how did those churches begin? Well, we know the church of Colossae, which is not one of those, but the church of Laodicea, which is. We know those began because there was an associate 
some way he would become a, a Christian there at Ephesus that went out. They had been trained by Paul and they took the gospel out. And I don't think that that's just true there at Laodicea, but that's true of these other churches. Most likely somebody from Ephesus went out and they began to share a missionary effort like Paul because they'd been trained. And they shared the gospel with those other cities around them. See, that was Paul's goal. Paul's goal was to go to a, a place to establish a church and for that church to go out and to be able to go to surrounding towns, surrounding areas, and help them to know Christ. So he trained them in God's Word. He trained them how to share their faith. And Paul lived out the Word of God. Listen, he was in the marketplace every day. And Paul was an honest worker. He was there. People could see the job that he did. He worked in leather. He was a tent maker. And he worked hard. He was honest. He didn't cheat people. People had a problem. He fixed the problem. But he also shared and told them about Christ. Well, some great things began to happen in Ephesus. Great things. And when God's working, when His Word is proclaimed, let me tell you what's going to happen. God's going to begin to confirm this is His Word. This is the truth. And so that's what happens in Ephesus. So you began, we didn't read verse uh, 11, but let me look at verse 11. It says, Now God worked some unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. And verse 12 says this, So even that if even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And so God began to confirm Paul's apostleship and God's word through miracles. And by the way, let me just point out some things to you. First, in history, there's been three great times where miracles took place. First, you saw it with Moses and Joshua. Then you saw it with Elijah and Elisha. Then we see it with Jesus and the apostles. Now each time, you know what's happening? God is confirming ministry and He is confirming His Word. So you don't see miracles like this today. Because we already have God's Word. His Word's been confirmed. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't do miracles. He still does miracles. But He primarily does them through prayer and the power of prayer. And so we need to continue to be people that pray. But here was a confirmation of who Paul was. Now, I also want you to know this verse is misused many times today. There are some people that, uh, that take handkerchiefs, for example, and they'll sell them. You can buy them. You give $20, $100 to a ministry, they'll send you that handkerchief and it's going to help you. That's what they say. But you know, the Apostle Paul didn't do that here. It doesn't say that Paul was selling handkerchiefs for a gift. He didn't do that. You know what was happening? This, this handkerchief Paul probably used to wipe the sweat from his brow. Would lay it down. As he was working, you know, he'd just wipe, he'd lay it down. Well, 
He was also ministering to people. So as he was ministering to people, he'd take the apron off from where he was working. He'd lay that down, and he would go over, and somebody would be healed. And so people saw that. They were superstitious. They said, you know, I'll just take this apron. He's not using it right now. I'll just borrow it, and I'll take it to my house because we got somebody that's sick. Or I'll just borrow his handkerchief right here. And that's what they started doing. But you know what God did? He honored what they were doing just to confirm that Paul and his message was on target. And so they'd go home and people would be healed as a result. That is not the normative. You you don't need somebody's handkerchief or aprons to be healed. You know what you need? God. It was by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and His shed blood. You know what? When you're a Christian, the Spirit of God gives you access to God. You know why? Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So whenever I pray, I have the authority and the assurance to be able, I can come boldly, I can pray confidently, Why? Because I'm so spiritual? No, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and because I know Christ and have His Holy Spirit living within me, so I therefore have access and can come assuredly and confidently. And if you know Christ, you can too. So God confirmed Paul's ministry through miracles. He also showed he had power over magic. You keep reading here in chapter 11, and they were some guys that had watched Paul. They were brothers. And uh, they were in to magic. They were in to exorcisms. And they charged people for that. It says that they were Jewish priests, but probably what they had done is they had watched some Jewish priests and had taken on their cantations. And the Jewish priest... They were told had a secret name of God. They had God's secret name, so they were that gave them authority. So these fellows, they saw Paul cast out a demon, do so in the name of Jesus. So they said, "Okay, now we've got his secret." This happened pretty simple, so we're going to be able to use that. So these seven brothers, they bring a guy that's demon possessed to him, and they say, "We cast you out." In the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches. Well, that demon speaks to this fellow. And the demon says, well, I know Jesus. I know Paul. But we have no, I don't have any idea who you guys are. And he just attacks them. This is one person. Strips them. And these guys run out, seven brothers, naked. Well, That got people's attention. People saw that and they said, whoa. Then it just went all over town. People said, Paul, he is more powerful than these magicians. Can I tell you something? The gospel is more powerful than magicians because the gospel will make an eternal difference in someone's life. The gospel will make... Not just an eternal, it'll make a moral change. It'll make a change in the way you think and act. It'll change who you are on the inside. 
And yes, it's more powerful. And so people just began talking. And as a result, when you keep reading, here's what verse 19 says. Also, many of those who had to practice magic brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all. So here's these guys, they say, you know what? We're giving our lives to Christ. That means we're going to show that we really believe He's Lord by giving up these other things that once had controlled our lives. And so they brought these. These things were worth a total of 50,000 pieces of silver. Let me tell you something. What we're talking about is about 50,000 days salary. It's a lot of money. They bring them and they burn them. They say, we don't need this anymore. If you give your life to Christ, there's things in your life that the Lord's going to say, you don't need that anymore. You need to give that up. You need to get rid of it. Now, used to, we would say, hey, if you had a stack of pornography, you need to pitch that in a fire. You need to get rid of that. Burn it. Throw it to the dump. You don't need that. Of course, now people have it, phones and computers, but I'm telling you, you need to get rid of it. But we've, there's different things in people's life. You need to be able, God needs to be Lord. And there's things you just need to be able to get rid of that need to be gone. You need to say, Lord, I've depended on these things, but I'm no longer. You're the one in charge of my life, and I depended on you, and I'm getting rid of this. This is where it, this is destroying me, destroying my family. I'm getting rid of it. And that's what happened here. And so people began to change. You know what? That's what the gospel does. It has the power to change life. Probably. We'll probably have, we're, we're a dry county, and the, probably we'll have another vote come up sometime before long. But you know, the gospel has the power to change people's lives. There's been towns where they had bars, couldn't get rid of them, until somebody come in preaching the gospel, until revival took place, and then all of a sudden, the bars had to close down because they couldn't get enough business. Because when God took over, they got rid of the alcohol in their life. When God took over, they made changes. Change took place. There's power in the gospel. When the Holy Spirit is alive, it's going to change an area. And it took place here at Ephesus. There began a change. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Ephesus was a place where they had one of the seven wonders of the world, a temple to Artemis, who was the goddess of fertility. And people came from all over. All of a sudden, business started dropping down. So one of the silversmiths that made these idols, he said, hey, I'm losing money. These Christians are changing people, and we're suffering here. Boy, he said, something's going to have to be done. 
But that's what happens. You start changing people's lives. People start changing. We want to be able to make a difference in people's lives. You know what they need? It is the power of the gospel. The power of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit comes in their life, you can't be the same. And that's what was taking place. And that was just confirmation of the truth. Well, that confirmation it still happens today. And the truth hasn't changed. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is what changes the world. It's what's changed lives for 2,000 years and it's still changing lives. Nothing else. Uh, there's no difference. So, here's the question today. Paul came into Ephesus. The good thing is he was able to stay about three years. He come into Ephesus, he found people that thought they were disciples that weren't. Here's the question this morning. What about you? You're really not going to be making an eternal difference unless you've got it settled yourself. That you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord. That you have the Holy Spirit that indwells you, that is empowering you. Or it could be that you know you're here today and it's not that you're pretending, but you know I'm not a Christian. And you need to be able to come and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to be able to make contact. You're sitting in the parking lot and you want to contact me. Because you want to make a decision for Christ. Today is the day to be able to make that decision. And if a church, if we're going to make an impact on our community, we've got to surrender ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, we're willing. Paul was consistent in living out the Christian life. Consistent. Let me ask you something. Are you consistent? There's things he did every day. Paul made sacrifices every day. Are you willing to make a sacrifice? The Lord is wanting to be able to make a difference in our county, but His people have got to be willing to be able to be difference makers. Is that you? Let's take a moment. Let's have prayer together. Lord, I want to thank you. Lord, I know that you are still in the saving business, the forgiving business. And Lord, there's people here today that need to make a decision. They may be Christians that have allowed themselves to be caught up in some things they shouldn't have. There's some things that to, for you to truly be in charge of their life, to be Lord, that they got to get rid of. There's some things that are hindering them. And it's not that your hand is not strong enough to make a difference. It's not that your ear is dull of hearing. It's that sin that's within their life. I just ask that today they can find that freedom. That today that they can be able to sense your power to be cleansed, to be made different. And so I ask that your will could be done today. I thank you for each one that's here. May your Holy Spirit just work in providing conviction. May your Holy Spirit work in providing courage. And may your Holy Spirit work in providing obedience. I ask for your blessings in Jesus' name.